San Diego is home to nearly 60 miles of dirt streets and alleys, and most of these streets are in low-income areas. 70% are in Districts 4 and 8. The roads kick up excessive dust in warm months, they flood during the winters, and they're subject to potholes all year round. But that could be changing. The San Diego City Council voted unanimously Tuesday to upgrade the streets, overturning two decades-old policies that kept them unpaved. They say it's an issue of equity and is the first step in better serving communities of color. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Christy Totten, and this is your San Diego News Fix. David Garrick, you're the reporter covering San Diego City Hall. Um, I was surprised to hear about the story that there was an actual policy on the books that prevented dirt streets from being improved. What is the history there? Yeah, I, w- I wish I was around in 1952 when the city council voted on that policy. And I don't really know what their thinking was. <laughs> but but the policy, as far as I can tell, was to uh, reduce the city's liability so that the city wouldn't be responsible for roads that really date back to sort of the farming era. You know, and during the city's era as a farming community, a lot of the roads were unpaved. And so when the city became a city, they didn't want to be responsible for paving or maintaining and keeping up those types of roads that were more dirt oriented. So they actually put a law on the books in 1952 saying we are not responsible for keeping repairing uh, dirt roads. Why did this issue come up recently? Well, the city's been focused uh, quite a bit more on equity, and certainly in in recent years, but certainly since last spring with sort of nationwide protests regarding social justice and and law enforcement uh, misconduct. Uh, And so Vivian Moreno, who's a councilwoman for District 8, which includes the communities along the border and also Barrio Logan and Sherman Heights, um, she there's it's a bifurcated district uh, anyway she she decided to study this and she had her staff go out and find out how many dirt roads there were because it really is an equity issue uh, and and folks who don't understand that let me because they are spread throughout the city uh, uh, the lion's share of them are south of interstate 94 but they are in every community pretty much but the reason that is is because the kind of clout you have at city hall the kind of political savviness you have you're going to get your streets paved. And if you lived in La Jolla or you lived in Claremont or you lived in Rancho Bernardo, theoretically you had more access to city politicians and you understood the political process better and you lobbied to get the streets paved in your neighborhoods. Whereas folks south of the 94 who maybe don't speak English as their first language, maybe don't know a city councilman in their bowling league or their Kiwanis club, you know, theoretically have less political clout and less political access. And arguably that's some of the reason that their streets are, are unpaved Still. So the price tag for this is estimated between three hundred million and nine hundred million. It's it's quite a range. It sounds like it's just based on what the upgrades will be. Basically the city came up with an estimate that a mile of street to pave it would be between five thousand and fifteen thousand. And because there's sixty miles of streets, we just multiplied that out. The five thousand is a really low level, just gonna pave it, basic. Uh, you know, make it where you could drive on it. 15,000 is the souped up version with street lights, curbs and gutters, drainage. So, you know, obviously each individual case, there'll be a different level that the city will decide to pursue. Maybe the neighbors will be asked to chip in in certain cases. So, um, but that's the best I could give was 300, you know, the, the, the numbers I did because the, the range is so wide. Uh, but your story also said it doesn't mean that money is going to be spent immediately necessarily, just that it, they can be improved. But I mean, when might upgrades begin? You know, that's tough. It's a really unfortunate that the city is so focused on equity at a time when they're in a financial crisis because of the COVID pandemic and what it's done to San Diego's really tourism-reliant economy. San Diego is so based on tourism and conventions, Comic-Con, all of that, you know, and that's San Diego's really hurt financially by this. So it's really bad timing to focus on, on equity at a time like this. 
I'm guessing it'll be a slow and steady process. Uh, but what they, the council's action on Tuesday allowed them to at least consider dirt streets among the projects they consider every year. Every spring, the city council considers a capital improvement budget. And it includes like adding a teeter-totter in a park in Otay Mesa and adding lights to a tennis court in Claremont and you know building a drainage ditch in La Jolla. There's like so many projects on there. In the past, dirt roads weren't on the list because the city had a policy saying they couldn't be on the list. Now they'll be included among the several hundred projects the city considers every year. And because the city's focused on equity, my guess is they'll get some high priority. So my guess is that they'll get prioritized. Not all 60 miles are going to be done in the next two or three or four years, but I think they'll happen relatively quickly. My guess would be in the next 10 years they may get them all done, maybe 15 yeah, you quoted a lot of council members in your story talking about equity. Vivian Moreno, as you just said, um, saying that this is proof that the council is taking this seriously. We ran a story recently uh, about the Mount Hope neighborhood in District 9, where residents have felt really overlooked and forgotten. Uh, their, their council person, Sean Elo Rivera, says that they're going to address that. Do you see equity as a trend with this new council where more than half of them are new? Uh, I think for sure. And, and the new mayor, Todd Gloria, focused on it in his State of the City speech. You know, everything is going to be looked at with an equity lens. It's a, sort of a new era in San Diego. You know, the previous mayor, Kevin Faulkner, said one San Diego. That was his sort of theme. But I think most critics would say that he, you know, talked the talk, but maybe didn't walk the walk. Now, he did try to convince investors to invest in District 4, which is uh, the lowest income district in San Diego. It's mostly southeastern San Diego. And the mayor did do, uh, Mayor Faulkner did do more uh, capital improvements south of Interstate 8 than his predecessor. So I'm not going to say it was completely hollow, but I think this new council, which is eight Democrats and one Republican, and then this new mayor who's a Democrat, whereas Faulkner was a Republican, are really focused on equity and are really focused on it. I mean, it seems like every day there's a new proposal. There's an Office of Race and Equity at City Hall now, which never existed before. Vivian is focused on the, the dirt roads. Uh, Monica Montgomery Stepp, who's the uh, representative from Council District 4, has got numerous equity uh, uh, proposals and ideas that she's working on. So, I mean, I think it's definitely a, a new era. It's, I mean, it's important, too. I mean, the city is almost like apartheid in a way. You know, I, I want, want, maybe I'm overstating it there to create an image, but, I mean, you know, San Diego, there's neighborhoods where it's really well-to-do, curbs and gutters, street lights, sidewalks, fancy and then you sometimes you go down to parts of Encanto and other parts of the city and it is a completely different world. Yeah, we mentioned that it's kind of difficult timing in that this the city is trying to to address equity, but at the same time, there's this huge budget shortfall, $85 million. Uh, Sean Ila Rivera wrote an op-ed recently saying it doesn't matter. Like we have to focus on uh, budget equity regardless of the times. Um, how has there been any talk yet about how equity will factor into budget cut decisions? Yes, and it's kind, of, it's kind of interesting. It's going to be interesting for me to cover it. And I, I, I'll, by the way, I'll add $85 million is the projection for the current ongoing fiscal year, which ends June 30th. But for the new fiscal year that starts July 1st, the city estimates about $150 million. So we're looking at $230 million gap. City's annual budget's about $1.5 billion, so that's a huge, huge chunk of money. Uh, anyway, I think there are folks, and this is going to be an interesting... There are folks who think maybe that instead of closing libraries equally across the city, in other words, shrinking them from six days a week to four days a week across the city, that maybe neighborhoods 
where libraries are more more essential because they don't have computers in their homes, that they would stay open. So in other words, you would cut the libraries in La Jolla and Rancho Bernardo more hours than you would cut the libraries in lower income areas. Now, no one has actually said that sentence, but they've said things that imply that that's what they're going to support. So that will be an interesting take. I've never seen the city do that before. They've always cut recreation center hours and library hours and the municipal pool hours across the board since I've been around. It's about eight years. So that would be an unusual approach. Maybe it's warranted. It'll be an interesting debate to see at City Hall. And so are there any other equity issues coming up that we should be watching for at the city? Boy, I don't want to miss one. I'm trying to think. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, law enforcement reform is another issue. There's a the the citizens, uh, the city voters passed a a measure, Measure B, back in November that creates a more aggressive oversight board. I think folks see that as an equity issue because it's really only folks in low-income areas who, not only, I shouldn't say that, but the folks in low-income areas feel that they're over-policed more than other neighborhoods feel that they're over-policed. So that's certainly, I think, an important equity issue. Um, you know, the roads that we talked about, um, but just not everything, libraries, um, it, you know, it, it, there, there's so many issues where I think a lot of folks feel that, that San Diego has, has, has missed the, the ball. Even the housing crisis, which you would think is a, nation, is a citywide issue, you know, the lack of affordable housing, you have new council members proposing a vacancy tax, which would really, you know, create equity for for people who need rental assistance uh, and community land trusts. So there there's so many and it's exciting to see. It's an exciting time to be a reporter at City Hall because you know new ideas are more fun to write about than the same old ideas. So And now the news. A new mass vaccination center will open Friday at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. Scripps Health will open the site from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Friday and 8 a.m. to noon over the weekend. Shots will be offered to those 65 and up, as well as healthcare workers and San Diegans who live or work in long-term care facilities. For appointments, go to vaccinationsuperstationsd.com. The San Diego City Council will wait at least a month before deciding on a new ambulance provider. The council had planned to replace American Medical Response with Falk, a Danish company, but postponed those plans Wednesday to further study Falk. The analysis will study the company's finances and its record with labor negotiations. Renewable energy projects could be coming to unincorporated areas of San Diego County. The Board of Supervisors took the first steps Wednesday by voting to streamline environmental review, permitting, and other processes. The board also directed staff to return in six months to explore renewable projects like energy storage and microgrids. If you've ever written an email to the UT, Andrew Kleski has probably read it. He's the letters editor, and he's in constant conversation with our readers, fielding tons of letters about the news and our coverage. Let's peel back the curtain on the process. So if I'm a reader and I send a letter into the UT, what happens? Like, who sees it? What should I expect in, in, in terms of a response? And how do you decide what gets published? Well, the queue for letters, edit, letters to the editor uh, is available to pretty much everybody on the opinion team and the editor of the newspaper himself, Jeff Light. And I know uh, pretty much everybody uh, on the opinion side has an opportunity to go through and look at them. And I know Matt, our uh, editor of opinion, goes through and looks at a lot of them. I know Jeff looks at a lot of them. But it's my role as letters editor to look through all of them. At least that's my opinion, that I should look at every single one of them and in some way determine whether uh, the issues raised in those letters merit getting in the newspaper. Uh, when 
we, uh, when we get a letter, we have a series of automated replies that people get back uh, telling them that we've received it or that uh, they need more information. You know, we have some rules, for example, you have to be within a certain word limit. You have to have your real name. You have to have your community, a phone number so we can call and verify that you really exist. But uh, uh, once it gets past that point, then it just becomes a question of, uh, is it the type of letter that people would enjoy? Does it add to the conversation? Um, and is it truthful? Is it fair? And is it civil? So once a, a letter jumps over all those hurdles, then it has a chance of getting in the paper. I think I was surprised that you actually respond to many of these letters and you're in conversation with our readers. Is that right? I do. And that's because uh, not all letter writers are sending me something that's absolutely ready to go straight out of the email. Uh, sometimes we have to verify some facts. Sometimes we have to tone down some, uh, some language. Oftentimes people wanna write 300, 400 words and I have to you know, get them down to 150. And there's times I get letters from people who uh, don't think uh, we should have any say in how the letter is changed at all. They think that you know the First Amendment guarantees them that their letter to the editor is going to go in the paper just as they've written it, uh, regardless of whether it's factual or accurate or civil. And uh, I have to disabuse them of that assumption and tell them, no, this is this newspaper has to hold to a certain standard for publication, as any major newspaper would, and that means that. Uh, it has to be accurate, fair, civil, and all those things. Can you anticipate the topics that will set people off? Like if you see a news story, you're like, oh, I'm going to get a lot of letters about that. Are there topics that are big talkers? You know, it works both ways, actually. Sometimes I'm just as shocked when letters don't come on a subject. I will see uh, a news event happen and think, oh, my gosh, here it comes. I'm going to get 50 letters on that. And nothing shows up. That's just as shocking. Uh, but but yes, for particularly for the last four years, the news cycle has been just hour by hour, minute by minute, uh, particularly uh, the national news. And that has uh, drawn a lot of people into the conversation, maybe people who weren't ever in a conversation with their local newspaper. Uh, and that's because it's so polarized, you've got people on both sides of the issue uh, of any given day. Uh, writing in. And yes, I can usually say, oh my gosh, you know, the president says something, I'm going to get letters from both sides on that. One of the challenges has been, I think because of San Diego's demographics, we get a lot more anti-Trump letters than pro-Trump letters. And uh, one of the concerns we get from a lot of the pro-Trump people is how come you don't print more Trump letters, Trump supporter letters? And I have to tell them, we can only print the letters we get. You've got to um, you know, if you really feel strong, really feel strongly about something, you've got to write the letter. Don't count on somebody else to do it for you and then complain, hey, how come you're not running any pro-Trump letters? And I don't know how that's going to go from here on out with the change in the administration. And, uh, and once the uh, impeachment is done, Trump will probably play a much smaller role on the national scene in terms of news. 
I'm hoping these people stay on and continue writing letters on both progressive and conservative issues. I mean, it seems like in some ways you're the barometer of public opinion. You've been reading these, you know, submissions from readers for so long. Like, have you detected big changes um, in opinion over the years? You know, it's strange. I think the biggest change I have noticed is that what used to pass for conservative values are now uh, a completely different thing. Uh, there are still those who stick with traditional conservative values. Uh, smaller government, lower national debt, things like these. Um, lately, because the president of the United States is who he is, he is considered the conservative government. He is considered the conservative viewpoint. And a, a lot of readers uh, kind of confuse that. They, they say, well, why don't you run more conservative letters? Um, and I guess the answer is I get fewer fewer of them now. There, I used to get a lot more conservative letters, and now I get more letters that are basically, Trump's right, you're wrong, write my, run my letter. And I have to have to argue, that's not a conservative viewpoint. To say Trump is right and everybody else is wrong is not a conservative viewpoint, that's a pro-Trump viewpoint. So th that is the point that's changed, is I think. Um, and I guess it's changed on the progressive side as well, because, uh, you know, we are having discussions about defund the police and things like that. Black Lives Matter. All of this stuff, uh, not, not all of it is particularly new, but it seems like, uh, and maybe in reaction to how far to the right some people pushed in the past, things are being pushed to the left now. So uh, I'm, I'm often surprised um, that we seem to be losing that middle ground. We don't get a lot of, we, we still do, but we don't get as much centrist opinion as we used to get. We get a lot more uh, far left, far right. And it's, you know, it's all good for the conversation because I think eventually the goal is to find some common ground. And, uh, you know, the fact everybody's point of view is worth at least discussing, even if you don't agree with it. So letters are not the only way to get in touch with the paper. We also do um, a weekly feature called Your Say, where we ask people for 500-word essays or social media comments on a topic. What is the Your Say this week? This week's Your Say is on the city budget. Uh, the city uh, is having a series of budget shortfalls in the next couple of years. This has been a very difficult time with the pandemic. Tourism's down, businesses are closed, revenue is drying up. All at the same time, the city is uh, increasing spending for a variety of different things, including pensions and, and uh, services. So uh, we asked people, weigh in on what you think the city should or shouldn't do. How should it maybe raise money? How should it cut services? Um, we've got some good responses to that. And this was born out of uh, what we used to do every Saturday was a theme letters package. We would just take the letters that came in and say, all right, we got 25 letters on this subject. Let's run a bunch of them as the theme package for this week. And we thought about that and said, maybe we can be a little more proactive rather than just wait for the letters to come in. We will ask people about a subject that maybe might not get as many letters. So uh, the city budget is something that not everybody's spending a lot of time worrying about. And they tend to not worry about it until it hits their library or their rec center. And then they say, wait a minute, what, what happened? Why, uh, 
why did they decide to close my library? Well, the reason is, is because the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And if uh, people aren't engaging in civic conversation, uh, how do we know what they think about subjects? So that's what that's what this week's is. You know, the, in the past, the city has often uh, leaned on things like libraries and rec centers, uh, cut their budgets because they don't want to cut other budgets like police and fire and other essential services. Um, maybe this time around, readers will write in and say, you know, maybe that's not the place to cut. Maybe there's other areas. Maybe it be, could be more equitable. And we're always looking for ideas. If people have a your say question, we'd love to, you know, have people propose their own. Uh, we've done everything from uh, federal issues to state issues. We, we recently did the governor's recall uh, effort that's on, ongoing. Uh, we looked at um, how how do, how we graded our past mayor, Kevin Faulkner, uh, and we've done. Ones that are a little more silly too. We've done things like uh, uh, just fun stuff. It's it's not all hard news. Some of it is, you know, we did one on uh, what do you remember most about Philip Rivers and things like that. So it doesn't have to be uh, all wonky political stuff. It can be the, the full gamut. Yeah, I remember one recently was what media helped you get through this past year of the pandemic. That was a great one. And it was actually very good. I. Sometimes I look at those ones and I think, well, is this should this be in the opinion section? Maybe this should be in the lifestyle section. But then I read them and I think, well, this is some good stuff. And actually, uh, I'm watching two or three of these shows that our readers suggested we watch uh, as things that got them through the pandemic. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. You can reach Andrew Kleski at letters at sduniontribune.com, and you can also find us online at sandiegouniontribune.com. I'm your host, Christy Totten. We'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow.